going on everyone this is ken with the super space podcast again uh so every week on this cast we're going to cover weekly events happening in the space community we're going to learn a lot about what's going on in the current day space race who's going to the moon who's going to mars who's building what and who is creating what new technology uh, as the podcast goes on and you continue to listen, you will gain a comprehensive view of the space industry as a whole. We'll dive into what's going on in India, China, and what NASA and the ESA are up to. Also, I'll try to throw in some interesting articles I've read that can give us a glimpse into the future of tech in space. So guys, please keep listening. I promise you that the quality and content here will only continue to improve. And my goal for all of us is that we become knowledgeable on the space industry as a whole so that we can see what's coming next, what new technologies are being developed, and where the space industry will lead us in the future. Uh, so on, this week on the podcast, we're going to cover the major happenings in the space industry, and that's the Euroconsult's World Satellite Business Week that went on from September 9th to September 13th in Paris. Uh, it was essentially four conferences in one and brought together uh, tons of companies from across the global satellite industry. I'll also give you a brief update on the Chandrayaan-2 orbiter mission that we covered on last week's podcasts, and I'll talk about the new Bigelow uh, inflatable space module uh, slash space station that's being developed for NASA. Uh, so I can't wait to get started, and let's dive in. Uh, first up, like I said, we have the Light Business Week. Uh, that took place in Paris. There's some minor news coming out of here, but the one major topic is the price squeeze being put on uh, smaller launch companies. Uh, so more and more, it's looking like the vast majority of launch contracts are going to be consolidated amongst a few companies. We're seeing this mainly because of announcements by SpaceX uh, when they unveiled their new satellite rideshare program a few months ago, and talk has been circulating about their drive to get prices down to $1 million per small satellite aboard their Falcon 9. Now, this is significant because as reusability technology becomes more prominent amongst big rocket companies, we're going to see the launch rates skyrocket as costs to send satellite to, the spa to space plummet. Uh, already we're seeing Gwen Shotwell talking about how SpaceX wants to launch 24 times next year, and that's why reusability is still in its infancy. Uh, she did later amend that number by talking about how SpaceX is going to do three or four dedicated launches per year for small satellites, and then secondary opportunities for small satellites aboard Starlink missions. Um, so this is a real source of a lot of stress for these small satellite launch companies at World Satellite Business Week. And that's because originally SpaceX was going to do just one dedicated launch for small satellites per year at the cost of $2 million for a 150 kilogram satellite. This wouldn't be a big deal because those other satellite companies could still squeeze in launches around that one SpaceX launch per year, mainly by being able to offer better times and more frequent launches because companies wouldn't have to wait for that one SpaceX launch every single year. Uh, but now, SpaceX offering three or four dedicated launches per year, uh, and this is in addition to the SmallSat rideshare program, and they're going to be offering aboard their Starlink missions. Um, 
so now you know you're looking at 15 flights a month and while SpaceX is often overzealous in their projections uh, even if they get close to this number they're projecting it's going to put an enormous squeeze on competing small sat launch companies uh, now the frequency was already a concern for competitors but SpaceX just announced that not only are they offering uh, small satellites uh, launches uh, at an increased rate but they're also cutting the cost from 2 million for a 150 kilogram satellite to 1 million for a 200 kilogram satellite uh, so less money for a heavier payload now this is not something I feel like they necessarily have to do but they may see it as an opportunity to put a lot of small satellite launch companies out of business with one fell swoop um, you know with Blue Origin and some of the bigger rocket companies beginning to develop reusable technology SpaceX might be looking to solidify themselves as the small sat launch provider in the industry and develop an unbeatable track record of low cost plus dependability I'm not sure, but either way, it's beginning to become apparent that there isn't much room for a lot of these companies in the small satellite launch world. Uh, not only not only the reusability and lowering cost, but uh, fairing capacity uh, will continue to go up as bigger rocket companies develop bigger rockets that can carry larger payloads. Um, so like Marino Fregnito, the VP of the Vega program at Arian Space, was quoted by Space News as saying, The fact that SpaceX announces such incredible prices for small sats affects our business, affects our pricing policy up to a certain point. We will follow up to a certain point. We don't want to kill ourselves. We want to make a profitable business, and we still do it for the moment. And Fragnito isn't the only one talking about the pressure being applied. Numerous other executives from Arian Space to GK Launch, they said things that are they said that things are only going to get tougher for small satellite launch companies. Uh, most of the executives at this the World Satellite Business Week tried to stress other factors in launch determination besides price, uh, mainly stressing technical performance, consistency, scheduling, and dedicated launches being able to focus on the customer's needs, but they face a very steep climb to overcome SpaceX's advantages, and I'm not sure they can. Uh, most of the other launch companies charge around $10 million for a small satellite launch, and when you're looking to charge your companies 10 times the price, you better have an incredible competitive advantage elsewhere, and to be honest, I'm not sure any of the other small satellite launch companies have enough going for them to justify their big price tags. Um, so obviously these moves by SpaceX are putting pressure on them, so I expect most of them to make significant price cuts, and I'll keep my eye on this moving forward. Uh, so the next topic I wanted to cover was the Bigelow Inflatable Space Habitat that is being tested by NASA. Um, so they're going to be testing this for about two weeks. It's a, all a part of NASA's second Next Space Technologies for Exploration Partnerships, or Next Step 2 program, uh, which focuses on developing deep space habitation concepts for NASA's stated goal of putting humans on Mars in the next 30 years. Now, NASA is looking to try out deep space habitats so they can work as living and working quarters for astronauts on the Moon and Mars and the Lunar Gateway. Uh, 
earlier, NASA had selected six companies, Lockheed Martin, Orbital ATK, Sierra Nevada Corporation, NanoRex, Bigelow Airspace, and Boeing to receive funding for ground, for ground habitat development in deep space. And they've been testing the results uh, out one by one. Bigelow is the last of these companies to go through this round of ground testing. Uh, the testing phase will take two weeks and will allow NASA to see what they like or don't like about the structure and will allow Bigelow to make adjustments based on their recommendation. So this isn't a testing phase that will result in one final company or habitat being selected, but rather it's an opportunity for NASA to see what the companies it provided funding to are doing with that funding and offer their input on the process. Uh, so the name of Bigelow Airspace Habitat that is getting tested this week is the B330, and it gets its name from the, the 330 cubic meters of volume it can offer astronauts when fully expanded. Uh, it's designed to be an independent space station and will have its own life support and propulsion systems. It's designed to house four or five astronauts for extended periods of time. So the big selling point of Bigelow's design is that it is inflatable. Uh, the main advantage and why NASA is looking into these inflatable habitats is that they offer a lot more living space or workspace per unit of launch mass than aluminum structures do. This offers a much cheaper option and more living slash working space if the habitats hold up the way NASA wants them to. Obviously a habitat that can be launched uh, while compacted and then expanded after being released offers a lot more size and bang for the bang for the buck. Uh, another of the big advantages that Bigelow has, in my opinion, is that one of their inflatable modules, the Bigelow Expandable Activity Module, is already being used aboard the ISS and it's holding up really well. Uh, while the inflatable module on the ISS is not the same as the B330 structure being tested this week, it does offer, offer a look at how well inflatable structures can hold up against micro-meteoroids. Um, this dependability, so far at least, has silenced some of the skeptics and given Bigelow credibility moving forward. Uh, Bigelow obviously hopes that NASA will eventually select the B330 for use on the Lunar Gateway. Uh, which is a part of the Artemis mission to establish a manned presence on the surface of the moon by 2028. Uh, according to Robert Bigelow, the founder of Bigelow Aerospace, getting a B330 up to the gateway is the company's chief focus. Once achieving that goal, the next objective would be, would be to have one set up on the moon, where Robert Bigelow has stated that his dream is to build hotels on the lunar surface. So last week on the podcast, I promised you guys the update on the Indian Space Agency or ISRO's Chandrayaan-2 mission and what happened with the Vikram lander. So it appears that the lander actually landed in one piece and it's still intact. Unfortunately, there's still been no connection or signal from it. Uh, if I had to guess, I'd probably say they won't be able to get any signal from it at all. And the landing part of the mission is probably not going to be able to do anything significant. Like I said last week, the Chandrayaan-2 orbiter will continue to orbit the moon to map it and take pictures. But overall, it was pretty disappointing for India, who wanted to be the fourth country to soft land on the moon. 
Uh, moving forward, the ISRO seems pretty upbeat, and the Prime Minister of India, uh, Prime Minister Modi, is very positive, and he's moving on to talking about the next major mission for the agency, which is going to be the Aditya L1 satellite that is slated to launch in 2020. Uh, it'll be placed in the halo orbit around the L1 point to closely study the sun's corona and monitor UV solar radiation. Uh, a little further out on the timeline, the ISRO is planning to launch the Gaganyan mission in 2022. Uh, this is going to be significant and appear it appears it's going to happen. Uh, if successful, it would be India's first manned mission to geosynchronous orbit and it would make it just the fourth country behind the US, Russia, and China to achieve this. The mission is going to carry two or three astronauts and reach a height of about 400 kilometers. It'll orbit the Earth for up to seven days, and in that period, they'll carry out some experiments in space and then return back to Earth. Uh, now, the last major mission for the ISRO I'm going to talk about has not yet been formally proposed, but there is talk that in 2024 they could attempt a Chandrayaan-3 mission in cooperation with the Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency, or JAXA. Uh, it, would, it would essentially be a redemption mission and an attempt to soft land on the south pole of the moon again with a lander and rover just like the Chandrayaan-2. But again, this has not yet been formally proposed, so it's far from set in stone. Uh, so that's it for the updates. I hope you learned something from it. And like I said, you know, please stick with the podcast and give it at least a few test runs. Uh, my email address is in the show notes, so if you have any suggestions, just shoot me an email. Uh, please, guys, check me out next week. I'm going to release a cast every Sunday on what happened the past week. Also, let me know if you'd like the cast to be a little longer, maybe like 20 minutes, or if you like this short cast format with as much info packed into it as possible. That's it for me. Thank you so much for listening, and I will catch you guys next week.